Today's guest on the Horny Deer Sense podcast is Darren Sims of Studio D Media. Studio D Media works with companies really in every category, but has seemed to carve out a niche in the outdoor industry, becoming one of the most trusted names in branding and design. You may not be familiar with the name, but if you follow companies like Woodhaven Custom Calls, you're definitely familiar with their work. We used them recently for a project, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to bring Darren on was because I know there's a lot of people out there that maybe have an idea, maybe thinking about you know, testing the waters in the outdoor industry. Well, Darren and Studio D Media is a great place to start. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Welcome to the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, founder of Horny Deer Sense, Scott Pratt. In this podcast, we connect with personalities across the outdoors, sharing hunting tips, reliving old hunting memories, and discussing life in general. Our goal as a podcast and as a company is to bring new hunters into this great lifestyle and to help keep the ones that we've got. So settle in, hang out with us for a little while on the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. Darren Sims, welcome to the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. Now, I appreciate you taking time out. I know, especially this time of year, you're probably really crazy busy. Uh, fortunately, we were able to contribute to some of that busy business here recently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know that there's ever a slow time, but always first of the year, everybody's starting new projects and, you know, first quarter stuff and it uh it does it gets pretty slammed even with the even with trade shows being canceled this year it's still it hasn't it hasn't really let up this this first quarter at all so well and i can see too just in the the short time that you know we've been in the industry your fingerprints are uh pretty much everywhere which is one of the reasons that we sought you out uh for this last project that we did with you uh, but that was one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on because, you know, talking to different people throughout the outdoor industry, everybody wants to work in the outdoor industry. Everybody's got an idea or, you know, so, something in the back of their mind that if everything lined up, they would try. Well, the reason I want to bring you on is we just used you for a project earlier this year, but following that project, I was kicking myself for not starting with you and that's why i wanted to bring you on because i know there's a lot of people out there in a similar space that we were sure sure no i um you know it's it, it is a it's a i think it's everybody's looks at it kind of like a dream job you know being able to work in some capacity in hunting fishing outdoors um I don't know that I approached it that way. You know, I, I came through it purely from the business perspective um, and saw an opportunity to, to improve companies in the outdoor world, much like I had done outside of the outdoor world. And, you know, it, it really is a misconception. And, and you've, I'm sure you've learned this by now. Hunt, or working in the outdoor world doesn't mean you get to go hunt all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the exact opposite. <laughs> it is the exact opposite. I was the guy, you know, growing up, even into my, you know, 20s and 30s, that, you know, every weekend I was at a deer camp somewhere, you know, during the fall. And now I've pretty much had to trade all that in 
um, you know, to just take a trip or two here and there because you're swamped all the time. Right. I mean, and especially during the hunting season, you know, everybody's, you're, you're supporting customers that are selling hunting products or doing hunting shows and that is their busy time. So right. you don't get to just break away and go hunt all the time. <laughs> no. And you know what, when it really hit me in the face, it was this past rut. So our first year out, you know, just, I guess via name, you know, there was a lot of interest when we, our very first year that, that we were out and I was busy, but it wasn't anything like this past year, a year in, uh, people having used our products, this past rut was crazy hectic, but I couldn't hunt farther than 30, 45 minutes from the house and, right. uh, getting to watch everybody else travel. And here I am fulfilling orders. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, you know, even, even before I moved out West, I'm originally from Florida. I lived oh. in Florida all my life for 40 plus years. How many and pairs 20... of cut off jeans do you still have? Cut off jeans <laughs> That's only the Gainesville area. <laughs> uh, I, I lived in Knoxville. I'm a Tennessee fan. I had the. Tough... I gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're familiar with the Gainesville um, uh, apparel, I guess you could say. Absolutely. And here's the thing those people in Gainesville, they're the. If you bring up cut off jeans shorts, they represent it like the American flag. Like they're so proud of it. For sure. That that's that's the culture, at least in part of it anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I in 2019 I moved out west uh, just because I wasn't tied to a city anymore. Um, I, I spent, you know, I was working a corporate job in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, started doing Studio D in 2010, 2011, somewhere in there, and it was just a it was a side thing. Um, I was hired by one company to kind of help them get off the ground and word of mouth. Hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Sure. And so it was a, it was a side gig for, you know, five years, yeah, five or six years. And, um, once I, I don't actually, today is the anniversary. Today is the six year anniversary oh, of, congrats. of me going full time. So yep. Six years. That's awesome. Um, once I, you know, once I dove off into it and, I, I didn't want to make any rash moves right off the bat, but after five or four and a half years, we decided, Hey, this is stable enough that we can kind of go wherever we want. Yeah. And, um, we just kind of looked at, we, we landed in, in the state of Utah away from the heat and into the cold. So, Dude, but I've Utah enjoyed that. <laughs> Utah, absolutely beautiful. Um, I, I think I've mentioned it on one of the podcasts before, but my wife's in our honeymoon a couple of years ago, we picked up a uh, sprinter van in California and did like a, a two week trail that ultimately led us uh, over into Boulder. But going through Utah, I had kind of like Idaho until recently, I had really no clue just how beautiful both of those areas were. It's just, if we were to move, and fortunately, both of both sets of our parents are alive. So, you know, it's hard to imagine leaving this area. But if we were to, to ever move anywhere, we would absolutely look at Utah. Just beautiful. It, it's been it's such a neat place. It has such a diverse, uh, you know, you, in northern Utah, you're in the you know Rocky Mountains. Um, you know, it looks more like a Colorado setting. You know, I look out my door and I see, you know, snow-covered mountains. Oh. Um, and then you you head into southern Utah and get into the red rock of Moab and, 
That's and all the national parks and uh, the Zions. and the Zions National Park and all the arches and all those things. And then you you know you head west towards Nevada and you're in desert and it, it's just it's such a neat place. And you know for we've been here well a little over a year and a half and and we're still tourists. We, you yeah. know, we 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 take off on Sunday afternoon and just go drive. And oh, I can tell you're loving it. All in. Hey, you, you no know, joke on Zoom video, you light up a little bit talking about it. I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you dig it. <laughs> no, it, we we really really enjoyed it here, and, and everybody said, oh, it's going to be too cold. But honestly, you know, I, I know we've had a little bit of a mild winter, but you know, we don't get the minus temperatures that you know Wyoming and Montana get. Um, you know, we're we're kind of protected on one side by the Salt Lake and then the other side by the mountains. So we did a little bit live in this little valley and we'll get a little snow. And then a couple of days later, it's gone. And, you know, you're back in 30, high 30s, yeah. 40s, and it's just comfortable. I love that weather. So I do too. Uh, and I'll be sitting here in three months and be miserable and uh, wishing I was in Utah, I promise. <laughs> But going back to Studio D Media, so you were working a corporate job before Studio D. What did that What did that part of your life look like? So I was a, I, I, I had a lot of titles, wore a lot of hats, but I guess, you know, when I'd sum it up to somebody, I was a technical business consultant. Okay. So we, you know, we approached things from, you know, whether it was an IT type, you know, software development project, or whether it was a marketing launch, or whether it was a, um, if we were trying to re-engineer business process, you know, to kind of make businesses more um, efficient, you know, all kind of different things. And I was always a contractor. So I moved from project to project, from industry to industry. And that was what I was used to. I did it for many, many, many years. Anything from, uh, I did a, you know, wholesale seafood distributor for a couple of years and insurance and banking. And, you know, so lots of different business aspects that have really helped me going into this um sure. you know the creative and design side of things were really an afterthought um it was kind of out of necessity you know the, the business side i had you know we could i could you know we could figure out how to make your business successful pretty quickly um the design side again was was something i didn't even know that i did yeah um so <laughs> well so, and that that's it's crazy to me because when when we were working with you one of the things that surprised me um not in a, a bad way but just how quickly the turnaround was like to look at a blank piece of paper and to really come up with anything visual uh and it's difficult for most people you know and uh what you came back with you know we, we made some changes you know just through some verbiage and different things that we had on the label but as far as aesthetically what you came back with first first swing was pretty solid and uh for you to not have come up doing that that's crazy yeah it, you know i um I, I guess i'm very blessed very fortunate um that it's something that i just you know kind of attached to I knew the technology world. Technology was not an issue. So like even when I started editing, doing motion graphics and, and you know, and even, you know, um, business graphics, the technology side was easy. You know, I could pick up a piece of software, figure it out, knew, knew how to do it. So it was just a matter of, hey, this is what I want to be able to do. Let me figure out, you know, how this software is going to help me do that. 
And, you know, fortunately, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. <laughs> hey, and, uh, we're, yeah. uh, we're, we're fans. Uh, I've actually, <laughs> as soon as we end this call, I've got another one to talk to you about. So don't let me okay. forget. <laughs> good, good. So for somebody that's, and I want to get into, cause I know with the different companies that you've worked with, uh, we're right here at Turkey season. And I see a lot that you do with Woodhaven and I know you've gone on some hunts with those guys. So I want to get into some of that, but on the front end, kind of want to, to, you know, really get into not so much the business process, but for anybody listening that, you know, maybe thinking about taking a step in this direction, if somebody let's say you know they're sitting there they've, they've got an idea they've got they've got something that they've come up with if they want to patent or, or or whatever they want to do what's your for people that you know really looking at this seriously what's your best advice for somebody looking to do something like this uh, there's a couple of things so a lot of times I tell people that are starting out or just, you know, maybe have a dream or have a, a concept. I always tell them, I said, you know, treat it like a business. Um, if you wanted to become a, if you wanted to become a, a, you know, a fluent income and you want it to be something that you, you know, over years can possibly do full time, treat it like a business. If you treat it like a hobby, it's just going to be a hobby for the rest of your life. Yeah. So that, you know, that entails, you know, business plan, um, investors, potentially, if you don't have, you know, not sitting on a bunch of money, um, you know, and if you don't get any of those, what are the steps and what's the release process of getting to where you can start generating some revenue early and then just reinvest that back in your company. But it's all, you know, you really want to see it from the business side, you know, how, how is this going to make money? How am I going to market it? Um, you know, and, doing all the right steps from the very beginning. Um, a lot of people, I, I can encounter this quite a bit and get a lot of customers that have gone, have gotten in such a hurry to release something. They've got this product, so they want to get it out there, get it out, get, get it out. And they, they kind of cut corners, whether it's on the you know, quality of the product or whether it's on their packaging or on their, their branding. And it ends up, you know, it, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You know, don't get in such a hurry to get out the door that you that you you know potentially mess yourself up. You know, with with what could be a good product. No, that's very good advice. And really, if you look at it, uh, it's really no different than an individual. You get one chance to make a solid first impression. And uh, I, I've you know I've been I've been there right there on that. It's so tempting. And, you know, you, you want to get something out there so so badly, uh, but to be able to step back and take a, a bigger look at it, uh, yeah, it takes some discipline. But that's a good one. Yeah. No. And and you know, there's the other side of that that you don't want to wait forever because there are you know there's there's opportunities to enter the market. Um, you know, and sometimes aren't good. And so sometimes you miss that opportunity by going too slow. So it's really, you know, it's, it's understanding that market, how you're going to release it, when you're going to release it, you know, and all those different pieces. And so there's this medium somewhere that says I'm going too fast or I'm going too slow right. or I'm doing it just right. And it, it's a gamble. So I think it boils down to controlling what you can control and hope for a hell of a lot of luck. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely takes some luck. It really does. 
So, and I see, you know, the, the deer mounts behind your head, you know, see one of the, the Europeans and uh, the other one over your, your left shoulder. You don't have any whitetail out there in Utah, do you? No whitetails in Utah. You have to go up into Idaho, um, Wyoming, uh, Nebraska, Eastern Colorado is probably the closest areas here. Um, Where did those actually, come from behind you? So I'll kind of, I'll pan up for you. So these are all Florida deer. Oh, wow. Uh, like I, said, I, I, spent, I spent a lot of years in the state of Florida. Dude, and, that's a, um, over your left shoulder, that deer came from Florida? <laughs> yeah, that's actually my biggest whitetail. It's about 135-inch whitetail. That might, uh, so out of Florida, that's basically a 150. <laughs> yeah, you, you could pretty much add 20 to 30 inches in the state of Florida, you know, to, to what you would kill in the Midwest. You know, there's never been a booner killed in the state of Florida. So, you know, uh, a 130-inch deer is significant. <laughs> Do you, and you don't feel bad if you don't know it, but how close is, how close is the closest to a booner in Florida? I know personally a guy that killed a 167. Um, so <laughs> oh, my brother, yeah, my brother-in-law killed one that grossed in the 160s, netted one high 150s. It was a, just an extraordinary deer. Um, so what yeah, part so, of Florida are we talking about for your brother? What part? Yeah. So your bigger deer are going to come out of North Florida from the Gainesville area north. Um, Alachua County, which is Gainesville, has been over the past 10 years and really been producing a lot of big deer. Um, you get into more farmland, you get into more, you know, hardwood bottoms. You know, South Florida is a lot of Everglades, a lot of palm trees, um, not a lot of protein. So that's, you know, that's the problem you face in South Florida. Um, body size isn't, you know, isn't big. You get into North Florida and you have you know, a lot of the deer in the in North Florida area were actually transplants. Um, my dad is 80, and he remembers seeing the first deer he ever saw in the state of Florida, and he was probably, I'm guessing, in his 30s. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, you know, a lot of the deer in the panhandle were actually introduced um, from deer out of, I believe, Wisconsin. Don't quote me on that, but they actually brought them in. And so there's that, you know, there's some, the genetics are there. Um, but the problem with Florida over the years has been up until the last couple of years, you could shoot two, two bucks a day in the state of Florida. I can't even, were they that overpopulated? Like what's the, there, there's a, there's, so you have right now, um, there's about 750,000 deer in the state of Florida, which is equivalent of Indiana, Idaho, <laughs> or Indiana, Iowa, you know, it, it's, there's a ton of deer there. And you have, you know, and let's just say, I think in Iowa, they sell 350,000 licenses a year. In the state of Florida, they sell about 130,000. Wow. So they have, you know, there was definitely a need because you didn't have the hunting numbers to right. keep the population down. So, yeah, I, I think most I ever killed was six in a season, but I know guys that shoot 20 plus every year. That's um, insane. But, you know, now that they've gone, they've gone to some antler restrictions in some of the areas and they've gone to a tag system. So I think you're, I don't, I don't know, but I think you're limited to three bucks, four bucks per season now. So. Gotcha. Um, Dude, <laughs> that's just uh, even think about walking into a season, knowing that in the back of your head, I can't even imagine that. When that, and that's why, you know, that's why Florida's kind of gotten the wrap of it's a bunch of little deer 
um, which they're, they're not giants. Um, but, you know, you had so many guys that knew they could shoot another deer tomorrow. So, or even that afternoon. So there was no reason to pass a 4.6 point small Baskerack eight um, because there was no, you, you didn't need to. Right. Um, and, you know, when I was younger, you may go a month without seeing a deer from a stand. So it was a big deal to see a deer. It's, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not as easy as it, as, as some other States, I would say. Now, and what, what shocked me about the deer behind you. So my dad back in the day, you know, before, well, before, uh, you know, he had a family, yeah, they used to spend a lot of time, uh, bow hunting and, you know, it was back then recurves and whatnot, but they would spend a lot of time down on Sapelo Island and, you know, just seeing pictures of the deer, which Sapelo Island's more, you know, on the, on the East coast and, you know, mm -hmm. pretty good ways away from where you were in Florida, but you just have the stigma of the further you go south, the smaller the deer get. So to see that one yeah. over your left shoulder, that shocked the hell out of me. Yeah. That, I mean, that was a 190 pound deer on the hoof. Um, you know, I've never killed a 200 pound deer, but, um, you know, as I got older, I stopped, I started passing on the, the Baskerack deer and looking for more mature deer. And, and, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to kill quite a few out of the state now. So, but, uh, yeah, no, Florida all day long. I would, I'd take that deer behind you anywhere, but it, well, well, there, there's a reason people don't film hunting shows in the state of Florida. Um, <laughs> yeah. no, that's, uh, it's hard. <laughs> To, and even to think about the time that you were hunting where you could spend a month without seeing a deer, which, you know, we've all been on bad leases or had to hunt public property and whatnot. But uh, since deer been managed a lot better, you know, over the last 20 years, you know, talking to my dad, you know, 40, 50 years ago, and I can see, especially like when he started teaching me and my brothers how to hunt hunting the way that they did where you didn't see deer that often you could see why they took every every little measure so seriously but even even i remember when i was really really young the first time i went or one of the first times i went hunting with him he was showing me you know before we went out and it's just it's weird how you have random memories but <laughs> he was telling me you know for example if your nose itches He's like, this is how you scratch it. And I swear to you, Darren, it took him three minutes to get his index finger <laughs> up to his nose. But the way that he taught us, you know, it was so, so rigid just because of the conditions they had, had had to hunt in, you know, like I, yeah. I just remember some of my earliest memories sitting in the tree, just thinking deer were just out of sight, staring at me, waiting for some type of movement. It was horrible. <laughs> Oh, my, my dad's big lesson to me was always how loud I was walking. Oh um, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, he, he would stop and he said, listen to me walk and then listen to you walk. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is, that has stuck with me uh, forever. And I, I still, I'm, I'm a slow goer in the woods and, you know, trying not to step on any twigs and it just, oh, yeah. it, it's just, it's dead. It's, seems detrimental if you step on a branch and break a twig because he drilled it in my head that if you're making too much noise, you're not going to see anything. So, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and it's weird how in that moment of your life, you weigh a hundred pounds less than your dad, at least, but you you sound like a dump truck coming through the woods. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It takes a different <laughs> level of patience, but so 
we're we're on the verge of turkey season out here in georgia we actually normally we start right around the first part of april but we get going march uh 20th so <laughs> it actually uh it's a bit shocking to hear myself say that it's, we're just a couple of weeks away but yeah I know you spent some time with the Woodhaven guys. What's it like going into the field with people like that, that literally do eat, sleep and breathe that sport? It, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to me because I've turkey hunted all my life, but I never was what I would call a turkey hunter. Um, you know, when, when spring hit in Florida, it was hot, snakes are out. Um, you know, and I'm not a snake guy. And so when, you know, when March hit, when it opens up in South Florida, I was going fishing. Yeah. You know, that was just, that was kind of how I did it. Now I would get an invite or, you know, I'd get, you know, I'd know where some turkeys are. And I've killed quite a few Easterns over my lifetime. And, um, but to go with, so Mark Scroggins is who I deal with at Woodhaven a lot. Mark's a, um, had a show years ago called The Fever, um, you know, and just been around the hunting world for many, many, many years and championship caller just i mean unbelievable to sit with a guy that can call like that oh <laughs> yeah and same same kind of thing you kind of feel like you're with your dad again when i went to oklahoma <laughs> with him last year <laughs> yes. you know yeah he's talking about he said he said oh you know we can't go this way because they're gonna this is before daylight right we can't go this way because they're gonna see us coming across this field and they'll never pitch down to this field i'm like it's pitch black Wow. <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, the, the amount of preparation and precaution they take, you know, go into a setup, getting set up is, is crazy, but super successful. I mean, we, we were on birds every time we went out. So that's awesome. Well, and when you see, so, and I'm kind of like yourself in the, in the, I've never been just a full fledged turkey hunter. I've been pretty opportunistic. I got more into it uh, the last few years, but to like for myself, you know, going out, if it's almost like seeing a deer, if I go out and hear one gobble, you know, that that's a good day. Yeah, even if I don't yeah. see it, if, if I, if I hear that it was worth getting out of bed that morning, which it always right. is, but you know what I mean? But when I go out, you know, obviously in your mind, you're breaking down the situation of what you think is the right move or, or whatever. But going out with somebody like that, they are playing the chess game. Like the, the pieces are set and they know exactly what each piece of the puzzle does, where it should be. And to go in and see somebody methodically, die, it just gives you a whole new appreciation for people that do things well. And I don't care what it is. You know, if, if somebody spent time perfecting a craft, whether it's turkey hunting or, uh, you know, studio D media, if somebody's good at something, it, I appreciate that. Cause you know that it took just a, a ton of time and effort to get there. Sure. Sure. No, Mark, Mark is, Mark's a great hunter. And actually I got the invite to, so I have, I killed, I killed the Rio, the Eastern and the Osceola. So I've got a Miriam left and, um, Mark and I are actually going to go to Wyoming on a Miriam hunt. Oh, so nice. I figure I, that's probably my best odds. Dude, <laughs> hey, that's almost cheating. I, I, that last one, you, when you document it, should have an asterisk beside it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. So, no, the, so yeah, we, I, it's, they're, they're, they're a really good company. Mark, Mark and, and Mike Pentecost, the owner and all their, 
you know, pro staff guys like Scott Ellis and Billy Argus and just all super, super guys. And, and it is, it is to even, I haven't hunted with Billy or, or Scott, but, you know, I, I do a lot of their editing for their, their YouTube stuff. And I get to watch all these hunts and just the, to see somebody that calls at that level. Um, and then they still, they still, it's still hunting though. Absolutely. You know, no matter how good you are, you know, the chess pieces don't always line up, you know? So it's, uh, you know, the, as good as they can be, it's still, it's still hunting. And, and, but it, it is, it is neat to see guys that have spent their life, you know, perfecting that art. So. Oh, for sure. Well, and it, it, if you went out every time and was successful, there would be, there would be nothing to that. You know, when you think about, and that's one of the things that I enjoy most about hunting in general, you know, especially, you know, now that I'm getting older in, you know, your young buddies, uh, you know, from years ago, life kind of takes people in different directions, you know, but the ones that you hunt with, you might not talk to each other for six months out of the year, but when hunting season rolls around, you just pick up right where you left off. But when you start thinking about your hunting memories, obviously there's the ones where you're successful, but so much of it are the conversations of what potentially went wrong. You know, you will never yeah. know what <laughs> held that bird up. You will never know why that buck stopped in his tracks. Like we can assert our theories or whatever, but so many of those conversations that are absolutely meaningless as far as actually going anywhere. That's yeah. so much, so much of the hunt, you know, for me is just those conversations. Animals make you second guess yourself, you know, oh, yeah. and you, you get back to deer camp at night and everybody comes in and, you know, you had a deer at 60 yards and couldn't get him in bow range. And, you know, maybe I'm in the wrong tree. Maybe I had the wrong stuff out. Uh, who, you did, those conversations and you know by the end of the night you have no idea what you need to do the next <laughs> yeah. day you don't think you should even go hunting because it's worthless it's but that, that's that's how you learn and you know but you know like everything else takes a little bit of luck or a lot of luck and you know and just some persistence be you know you you, you got to be there to do it so i think that's the key you know just in i think it's applicable throughout life uh, persistence you know keep moving forward and keep learning you know somewhere somewhere to pay off uh but to be out there and it's so much more than what people think it is that don't experience this lifestyle you know and there's no way to put it into words if you don't go out there and experience it for yourself that's the hard part just getting people out there to do it yeah but yeah you're going so you're going for the the grand slam the turkey grand slam walk me through the different birds in their locations because again i'm i'm pretty new to the turkey hunting side of it what's that look like so eastern's eastern's by far the most uh widespread you you know you've got easterns from florida up to i'm i'm guessing definitely into texas oklahoma what about eastern oklahoma so before you get going, are there distinct characteristics between the different ones, like things that you could uh, maybe eyeball? Yeah, so um, the, the two that are hardest to tell apart are the Eastern and the Osceola. Osceola is, is, is all in Florida, and it's from Central to South Florida. So that's, you know, if you ever want to go on an Osceola hunt, they're expensive because as these outfitters know, 
this is the only place in the world you can do it. And it's the only way you're going to get your grand slam. So Osceola hunts are outrageous, um, but well worth it. Um, so an Osceola and an Eastern look very similar. Osceola is a little smaller. Um, and, you know, biologically, this may be wrong, but I think an Osceola looks like he has longer legs. He's a little slender. Um, they have long spurs. They're, they're definitely a big spur bird. Um, and then they have the, the white and black banded feathers that go down when they're strutting. Okay. Um, on an Osceola, they're, they're dark. They're predominantly black instead of predominantly white like an Eastern. And that's really the biggest key you can tell when you're looking at one. They're, they're a pretty dark colored bird. Um, you know, when you get into Rio's, which is the Western, you know, Western Texas, Oklahoma, Utah, Colorado, um, a lot of Western states have Rio's. Um, they have more of a, a uh, like a, I think they call it a tan or a fawn color tip on their tail feathers, whereas an Eastern's a little more dark and kind of like a bronze color. Um, and then when you get into the Miriams, they have white tips. They almost Ooh. look like a domestic turkey um because they have these big white tips on their feathers and bit and lots of white in their tail so are they from a i guess from a weight perspective are they all pretty similar there I, they say the eastern's biggest um you know get into 20 plus pounds you know in an eastern um you know but you know they're all within a few pounds of each other but they say the eastern's the biggest and i think they say the, the osceola is probably the smallest so gotcha when's your trip coming up uh april yeah that's close april yeah, yeah. Like, that's a little over a month away yeah we're we're gonna do april up in wyoming and then we'll turn around and go back to oklahoma and shoot rio so dude that sounds like a pretty good april <laughs> actually i'm actually i'm going friday so it's not turkey season in utah yet but a good friend of mine has a ranch here and they get turkey vouchers as landowners that are what? good for for the fall season up through march 15th so, so you get to go turkey hunt even though it's not turkey season. I, I, yep so you know that last week of that voucher, i wish you didn't even tell me that I'm you, you might even actually catch one goblin who knows but it'll be in the snow so either way it's going to be neat to try to kill one in the snow turkey mm -hmm. hunting in the snow so <laughs> how from a behavior standpoint, how do turkey behave in conditions like that? Which I'm, you know, out there, I'm sure it's different, but it's just hard to imagine, you know, hunting turkey with snow on the ground. I've never done it, um, but you see them in the snow. I mean, it, it's just like, I guess, like mule deer and elk, when the snow hits, they come down of higher elevations. Yeah. They drop down, get into lower, you know, lower pastures, but they're still dealing with snow you know, in, in a lot of places, yeah. even as low as they can go, as far as elevation is concerned. Um, but they're, you know, they've got to eat. So, you know, if you can find a place where they're able to, to get to, you know, through the snow to some grass or brush or, cause there's not a lot of bugs out here. So they're not really eating bugs. They're mainly seed eaters during the winter. Um, but if you can find where they can scratch and browse, then you got a good shot. I think so. Dude, what a cool experience though. Yeah, like with snow on the ground to be to be chasing those big. Things. I'm ready. We're we're going shed hunting and turkey hunting all at the same time. <laughs> so hey, no joke on these these hunts that. And before I forget, if you wouldn't mind, tell everybody what your which we'll post it. But what is your Instagram? 
Um, my, my Facebook and Instagram are all Studio D Media, um, all one word. So you can find me. If you type Studio D Media and Instagram or Facebook, you'll find me. So that'd be a good place to maybe catch an update from one of these hunts that you're talking about. For sure. Yeah. Dude, I'm going to be watching, especially, I want to see you close out. I'm going to live vicariously through you a little bit on the Grand Slam one, but definitely keep us posted on that one. For sure. So before we cut this one off, I want to do, uh, just give you a quick, you know, elevator pitch on Studio D Media. Uh, okay. any, anything as far as where they can find you, what you can help with, anything that might be helpful for, for anybody listening? Sure. So in, in a nutshell, Studio D Media, we build brands, um, you know, and we our new tagline in the last couple of years is we build successful brands. You know, brand goes from design to marketing to customer service, business process, all of the above. A lot of people know me as the, the graphics guy. I'm probably more known for that than, than the other. But, you know, you can look at the, some of the larger companies that I do just a myriad of services for, like Woodhaven, um, that are hugely successful. You know, we started with Woodhaven four years ago, rebranding Woodhaven, kind of redoing how they do their marketing, who they're marketing to. And we've set sales records for two years. So That's awesome. um, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of success stories out there. Um, but if it has to do with building your business, whether that's design or marketing or how to get it out there, um, we can definitely help you with that. That's perfect. Darren, I've really enjoyed getting to hang out with you, man. Um, and on the flip side, everything that you've done for us uh, through Studio D, uh, it's been a pleasure. And yeah, we're, we're going to pay you some more money soon. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And, and thank you for having me on. I, I've never done one of these. So we'll see. We'll see how receptive everybody is to me blabbing my mouth. So. <laughs> Dude, I, hey, I'll be honest with you. I can't listen to any of these. Like, I just have to, I just have to put it out and be done with it. Like, it makes me cringe. Oh, I, I've been on, I've been on a half a dozen TV shows and, and I've edited a couple of them and it's terrible. I, I can't, you can't. Why would anybody want to edit their own footage? I would never know. So uh, I'm right there with you. It's brutal. <laughs> Darren, uh, keep no joke. Uh, I'm going to be watching for the Grand Slam Turkey, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot for checking out the Horny Deer Sense podcast. Hope you enjoy the conversation with Darren. You can check Studio D Media out at www.studiod-media.com. We'll see y'all next time.